When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Podcast. I'm Reynold James. Uh, thank you for joining us for the second part of our first time DMing episode arc. With me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Howdy. All right, Tyler, what's been going on? Well, last time we talked about getting ready to run your first session as a DM or GM. Today, we're going to continue with that advice. We're going to go into actually running the session potentially turning that into a long-form game, if you're lucky enough to do that, and offer advice on how to do those things, how to take feedback and improve based on those things. And we're going to give you some tools and advice to help you be successful in both. Absolutely. So we talked about the right idea is starting with a one-shot, we think. And and we think that because we're right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, when you have this much experience... Uh, pride goeth. No. Um, but I, I mean, realistically, there's a lot of good reasons that we didn't talk about some of them. But so, yeah, once you've picked your story, you've got all your resources, you've got your prep, you've got your players, they've got their characters. Now you need to actually run a game. And there's a lot of things that go into that. If you have had your session zero, you're going to know what your players are looking for in terms of how much do we want to role play? How much do we want to just throw dice at each other? Because clickety clack math rocks. There are some great examples of published one shots. Um, we've talked about Little Trouble and Big Absalom. Uh, we've talked about Wild Sheep Chase. Tyler uh, will absolutely love talking your ear off about those in a second. <laughs> when you go into that, you know you want to look at those and see, okay, how much is there going to be role play? How much is going to be exploration? How much is going to be combat? Combat takes a long time, and particularly if you're going into this as a new DM, like new to the system, new to playing tabletop role-playing games, combat takes much longer than you think. Tyler, who has been doing this for a very long time, tried to run a a one-hour one-shot for myself and a couple other people some months back. At an hour and 20 minutes, (laughs) we still hadn't finished the last room of combat that was supposed to happen before we got to the rest of the plot. Just because even with players, you know, and and this was for experienced players, like, but combat just takes a long time. So as you're trying to plan for how long is it going to take, just add half an hour or an hour to whatever you think, because the worst case scenario, you're going to end up hanging out and talking about it, which is awesome. That's something you should do anyway. Yeah, that's really good advice. We have some articles on the site, both my practical guide to one-hour sessions, which that game was researched for, and then an article that I wrote after that, the practical guide to running fast combat, which was very informative for me to research and write. Hopefully you'll enjoy it too as either an experienced DM or a novice DM. 
but there there are resources to make these things go faster but random's absolutely right you should plan for combat to take a lot longer than you expect especially if your players like to roll garbage like i do and are just always rolling single digits no one can hit each other and eventually everyone gets tired and goes home instead of actually finishing the combat yeah, it's really depressing when the monsters just quit. Like, I've, I've hit third level exhaustion watching you roll bad, and I'm going to have to leave the room now. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this idea of Session Zero and getting together and talking about what do folks really want to get out of this. And so for your first session that you're going to run, having a good idea, like, if, if what they want is a lot of RP, then maybe it's okay if you have combat, but you choose lower CR monsters so that they roll through the combat quickly. Uh, something I know we've said, but I don't know if we hammer on well enough. Uh, in 5e, at least, combat on average is supposed to last three rounds. Yes, generally three to five. Yeah. The CR is actually calculated for a monster. Uh, the offensive CR component is calculated on what is the maximum amount of damage that can be done in three rounds of combat. You know, it's actually kind of baked into the difficulty of the game. Now, that being said, if you dial that CR back just a little bit, shaving that from three to five rounds down to two to three rounds max lets you have combat, which is a central part of the game, but lets you get onto the RP more quickly. If the players are players who really like combat, but they want lots of combat because you could tell they got bored the one time you had them go for six rounds in combat, same game. You can you can have lower CR monsters in order to let them move through more quickly. Uh, vice versa, if what they love is like epic challenges, then it makes sense if in your hour and a half long session, 50 minutes of it is this long drawn out epic fight against some CR creature that really challenges them. Yeah, and one thing I'm going to say about that, if you do choose to go the let's tone the CR down a bit route, be aware that that's going to make your players not expend resources. And so you could, and if this is a one-shot, that's not a big deal, right? You're you're probably, you're maybe going to have a rest anyway. Maybe that's not a problem. But just be aware that, like, if you are trying to build that into your typical ongoing campaign, then that's something that you're going to have to say, okay, you know, for the one-shot we did this, I am going to have to tune in a little bit differently. Um, I definitely want you guys to keep having fun, and you should tell me if this stops being fun. Hey, wait, I'm, you know, getting ahead of myself again. That's something that, as a first-time DM especially, be aware that if they're not expending resources, they may just keep going. And so it's it's important to figure out how to provide them a challenge which is still meaningful enough that they have to, you know, spend those spell slots, spend those abilities. Another thing that I want to talk about on the story side of things, in a long-running campaign, you will often set up so that the culmination of a session is a plot hook or a reward, which is going to benefit them in the next session. If you know you are playing a one-shot, maybe building in halfway through that reward, like a new item, a spell scroll, something that would be fun, that can then be used in the culmination, is a better mechanism of storytelling than getting the reward at the end. Because sincerely, like at the end, you might as well say you found infinite gold, right? Just it's an infinite <laughs> pile of gold. It's a gold producer. Why? We're never coming back to this world anyway. Well, and and so there's you know there's a couple ways to take that. First off, to your first point, one of the cool things that that can do is if you provide them an item which requires attunement, that can force a rest, mm -hmm. um, which has some you know. Then we we've talked about things like when people are resting, there's like role play opportunities and that sort of jazz. If you do decide to, like we talked about in the last uh, half of this, if you decide to take those characters, take that story, 
into a long running, then yeah, you know, provide something that's going to be meaningful for the campaign you intend to, to take them into. There's a lot of really good examples of this being done both very well and very poorly in published one-shots. We've talked about Little Trouble and Big Absalom as a great one-shot for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and it, it makes the exact mistake of giving you all of the treasure right at the end of the adventure. The intent of them doing that is they give you this big pile of treasure, including a bunch of expendable items like, like Alchemist Fire, and then a really hard fight where you're supposed to use all of those things, but that isn't communicated super well and the players are encouraged to be selfish and take all the items for themselves which is exactly what happened last time i ran it uh the party's rogue found all the treasure took all of the treasure and then ran so the party the party was nearly tpk'd by lawn crawfish correct yes yes uh (laughs) lawn crawfish yep i yes exactly what you think they are not large lobsters lawn crawfish (laughs) uh Yep. They speak with a Cajun accent. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, excellent adventure. Little Trouble in Big Absalom is a great one-shot for PF2. If you've never played or run it before, comes with good pre-gen characters, good mix of mechanics. It does a really good job of hitting the core concepts of dungeon fantasy, so your exploration, interaction, combat. The first half of the adventure is you're exploring a terrifying dungeon, which is some old lady's basement. The second... (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then you have a really nice role-playing encounter with an NPC. And then you do a little more exploration, and there's combat interspersed throughout the whole thing. So it does a really good job uh, for... You literally skipped the best part. The cookies? Cookies. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, If you're a DM and you're running this one-shot, bake cookies. Pro tip. Uh, uh, for 5th edition D&D, I really like the Wild Sheep Chase. It's available on DMs Guild, and we'll have links in the show notes. It's a really light-hearted, short adventure. Starts with a goofy NPC. The plot is a little silly. I think you play at 3rd or 4th level, so that, is, that may be a challenge for a first-time DM. Uh, but it's also that kind of sweet spot where characters start feeling really cool. There's a little bit of combat, and you get to explore a nice little map, it, and it's it's a very short read. I think the whole PDF is like four pages, so it's very easy to pick up and run. Um, a lot of other RPGs will include a short adventure in the core rulebook, so all of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games have a short adventure in the core rulebooks, and there's three for the various versions of the game. The One Ring has a short adventure in it the in the core rules that's becoming more and more common so generally that adventure is a great place to start both as a one-shot session and to hit all of the core concepts of that game set and in fact it's it's probably worth mentioning a lot of systems let's take 5e right 5e has the minds of fandelver thank you i'm never going to pronounce it correctly and i accept that all right you have the the minds of fandelver did it all right uh the, (laughs) the minds of fandelver as a intro where the rules are a little bit pared back, the adventure is well laid out. If nobody at your table has played it, even if they're experienced players, as a DM, it's a great module to run. PF2 has a starter. Yeah, the starter kit for Pathfinder 2nd Edition is basically a tutorial built as a dungeon crawl. And it's decently fun to play, it's really easy to run, and it introduces a new mechanic in basically every room, so you mm-hmm. learn as you play. There's some fun puzzles in there, there's some decent encounters. We have a we have a guide on the website for running it and like p- 
polishing off some of the rough edges of the adventure. But yeah, if you're going to play Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the Starter Kit's a great place to start. Yeah, the One Ring 2nd Edition just published has a Starter Kit to come with it. I, I'm saying this to emphasize, like, all of these systems, many of these systems have Starter Kits, which are fantastic ways to get started. But beyond that, yeah, like, uh, Big Trouble in Little Epsilon was a fun story that also gave me a great impression of, like, what Pathfinder 2 is and kind of what it's about you know i have to say like D 5e feels like you know batman dark and brooding and like uh, versus pathfinder is like nah this is going to be great we're going to give you goblin grenades have fun <laughs> it, it definitely depends on who's running the game but it, yes there are absolutely goblin grenades there are spoon guns pf2 can get wacky yeah and it's fun like it, it is great one of the things that if you, particularly if you have read or uh, go read the guide to one-hour sessions. Uh, so Five Room Dungeons, he's a, a big fan of. In fact, that's what he ran for us for that uh, that test case. They're really good. Um, they, it's a great way to lay out things to get that little mix of everything while still making it through pretty quickly without having to feel like, oh, I, I need to be, make this whole enormous dungeon to, you know, because, like, this this can be the puzzle area and, and this can be, like, all these monsters. So even just keeping things very short, like one instance of everything can feel really fun. Yeah, Five Room Dungeons are great as a tool for both writing a one-shot and for just planning out your session. So the concept of the Five Room Dungeon is you have an entrance slash guardian, so that that will be like some difficulty to get into the dungeon. A puzzle or role-playing challenge, which can be like you have a high-stakes interaction with an NPC or you solve a puzzle, go see our puzzles episode. Uh, the third room is the trick slash setback. So maybe the party is ambushed. Maybe they're hit by a trap. Maybe they realize some piece of crucial information was incorrect. The ways to interpret this are many and varied. Fourth room is the climax slash boss. So this is like the climax of your session. You're going to have some big climactic fight or there will be some big crazy reveal like Darth Vader is your dad. Surprise. And then room five is the reward at the end of the session, which doesn't necessarily mean like here's a pile of treasure it could be like i have saved the princess and i am rewarded by having done that so the concept originates from this guy named john four who runs roleplayingtips.com great website if you go to the website he's got like a 500 page pdf with five room dungeon ideas in it which i've used so many times uh so i strongly recommend that awesome so we've talked about a few different stories right a uh, little trouble in big epsilon uh, we've talked about Wild Sheep Chase. We've talked about the structure of Five Room Dungeon, some of the starter kits. Ultimately, what do these have in common that are going to help a first-time DM be successful? It's hitting the fundamental concepts of your game system in a kind of bite-sized chunk. So for 5th edition, or, well, for all of D&D, the three pillars of D&D are exploration, social interaction, combat. Your five-room dungeon gives you room for a couple of fights, some exploration, um, some interaction with either a puzzle or an NPC or something like that. So you get a little bit of each of those three pillars in your one session. Most sessions that you run, you want to hit all three of those things in, in not necessarily equal amounts, but a little bit of everything. You'll have some sessions that are all interaction or some that are all combat or some... Anyway, um, and other games 
like especially outside of the dungeon fantasy genre will have different conceptual pillars that you want to hit in a given session but those starter kits those demo adventures the published one shots those will frequently hit all of those core concepts and give you an idea of what you want to shoot for for a satisfying session Another thing that I'll say that's fantastic about them is, for the most part, they're fairly brief. You can get through them in two to three hours uh, versus a long six-hour session. Another thing, folks who have played the game for a long time love to sit down for all-day adventure, eat two meals together, you know, get through all the beer and nachos. And this first time as a DM coming through, especially if it's new players to the game, I think you're ultimately going to have better luck creating a long-running campaign if you leave them wanting more versus if at the end of it, the thing they remember is, yes, I had fun, and also, I was exhausted. Let's see, the 5th edition D&D starter set is a bit longer than a lot of starter sets. Generally, your starter sets will run one to two sessions, which is enough to get your feel for the game, get get your handle on the mechanics, understand how the game works, all those things. The D&D 5th edition starter set is a full, like, it runs you from levels 1 through 4. I mean, it's not a super long campaign, but I'd expect, like, three to six sessions out of it, definitely. If you're using the 5th edition Essentials kit instead, um, especially with the follow-up adventures, that'll run you all the way to level 12. Your mileage may vary on how long they run, but generally a starter set is designed to be run in one to two sessions, with 5th edition being the weird exception. Yeah, and that's why, realistically, rather than trying to go with the starter kit for that, that's why we're recommending something like just grab a five-room dungeon, grab one of the adventure week mini-adventure mini-dungeons, grab something short, because, yeah, you know, even even just that uh, D&D starter kit can feel like a big commitment. All right, so you have survived your first session as a DM. I am going to make the argument it is now time for a proper feedback session. Um, And really, if you're a new DM, one of the tools that you should have in your bag as a new DM, we always talk about session, session zero, something you should add to your session zero is the idea of feedback. Let folks know you are comfortable receiving it. You want to get it. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you didn't like. Uh, we have this technique that, that folks use, a lot of folks listening are probably familiar with, of like a, a start, stop, continue retrospective. Uh, what this is, is what should we start doing? Like what problems did we face that we think if we started doing this, it would help solving help solve the problem? That might be as simple as players have an idea of what you're going to do on your turn. Don't figure it out as soon as it comes to you. You know, give some thought to it. On the DM side, it might be pre-rolling initiative because it took too long to roll. You know, getting set up for monster uh, for combat took too long. There are ideas that we could start doing. Stop is, okay, what wasn't working? What are the things that we tried that we've decided, like, this is terrible? Yeah, I guess what are some good examples of things you might stop doing? Well, actually, so I got to listen to a fun panel at GaryCon where someone was describing part of the design process for 3rd Edition. And part of the design process for 3rd Edition, there were some classes they could make saves to avoid magic missile. Uh, and that was one of the universally hated rules that in the, all the player feedback, they were just like, no, no, get rid of this. It's terrible. Magic <laughs> missile should always hit. So, you know, if you happen to introduce that into your game, stop it. Yeah, actually, that is a great example. Like, I'm going to let you bring in that unearthed arcana, uh, but uh, no, no, no longer. <laughs> We've decided we're going to re-earth that. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, If you're using homebrew rules... Uh, this is a great time to discuss them. Start, stop, continue. Like you might say, okay, we hit a very specific 
problem with the homebrew rule or table rule, whatever, whichever variation of things you're calling it and using, you might say, okay, we need to stop using this rule because it's causing X problem. Uh, maybe you're using a variant initiative system and you've decided that it horribly advantages all of the monsters and that makes combat impossible. So you say, okay, let's stop doing that. Let's go back to how it, how it's written in the rules. It could just be things that you're doing to run the game, like maybe... Maybe you as the DM uh, really like to use music, but you don't realize that you're playing the music way too loud so the players can't hear you talk. Like, that's that's good feedback and shouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. Maybe you give someone feedback at the table, like, hey, maybe don't eat a ton of garlic right before we sit down. Yeah. What if you showered daily? I'm just <laughs> tossing it out. Um, also, let me introduce you to my friend, Deodorant. Uh, no. Um, I, yeah, I think... Uh, for the social parts of it, I, I think that is important, and these are good feedback. I'd say those very personal ones are maybe best given one-on-one, but I think mm-hmm. at the table, getting folks prepped ahead of time to know that you want feedback on the back end and then directly asking for it is really going to help you be successful. And the nicest part of start, stop, and continue is continue. Mm-hmm. And what I'll say to players, what I'll say to DMs, is really take advantage of the continue, because I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. And if your favorite thing are the voices that I did, or your favorite thing are the the scripts that I did, or like I went to describe and I pulled a bunch of box text uh, and then I, I read this to you and you're like, that was awesome. And I really love how you applied it. I don't know that you love that unless you give me that feedback directly. Yep. If you're worried about hurting somebody's feelings, you know, we've all heard of the compliment sandwich. Well, I really like the compliment sandwich. It's very effective at providing some good feedback, making sure that you do provide that. I will say that it's been shown to be something that the players just, not the players, but like the, the person receiving it kind of, they, they, they understand what's going on. And so they just pick the negative out of it. But with that said, uh, I think that it really does a great job of uh, making sure that, you know, you are at least taking the time to think about what was good so that you can provide that. And, and I think in this setting, like I'm, I want you to make me the sandwich. I want to be very clear. I want a club sandwich, right? Like I want a compliment and then some turkey and then a compliment and then some ham and then another compliment. Cause that's ultimately like, that's going to taste a lot better is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, then if you put the turkey and the, the turkey and the ham are the negative comments, by the way, but if you put the turkey and the ham and then all of a sudden you stick some salami in there too, like that, it could hurt feelings. But no, I think getting folks prepared to receive that, I should say that differently. Getting folks prepared to give you the negative feedback and then preparing yourself to receive it is extremely important. Because let's look at it this way. If folks aren't having a good time or if there's a particular aspect of the game that just needs to change for them uh, to the point where they decide, look, I'm not going to play anymore, that's a much worse outcome than you hearing something that's a little hard to hear and then adapting your game. Part of what I'll say for this is if you are asking people to give you this feedback, you do need to be prepared to change or to have a discussion to, you know, the you know five wise technique. Can we dive a little deeper to understand what aspect of it, you know, really bothered you? I think Tyler gave a great example a moment ago. You know, if somebody says, well, I, I didn't really like the music. Okay, cool. Is it the style of music? Is it the pacing? And, and if it comes down to, it's like, well, it's just too loud. So it was hard to understand you. Oh, Okay, cool. That's fi- that's fixable. I can turn the volume down. Um, if the problem is the style of music, you can find something else. And if the person's just like, no, I just I, I hate music in a session. I, I don't enjoy it whatsoever. 
okay, cool. Let's talk around the room. If three of the players loved it, one person hated it, maybe it's something you compromise on. You don't do it all the time, but for key social settings, you do it. But really diving into kind of what is going to help everybody enjoy it and adapting what you do is going to be better. Another thing we talked about before, like you have this cool story you want to tell, and then they meet the NPC, which you want to be, you know, let's say the villain or a key partner, something like this, and they hate the NPC. It's like, okay, what did you hate about the NPC? You know, is it something, could you redeem the NPC? Do you need to introduce a new character to kind of carry that thread forward and maybe have it be something more in line with what they would like? Getting that feedback is going to help you tell a better story. Yes, and being gracious about the feedback that you're getting is really, really important here. Feedback should always be constructive. You want it to be constructive criticism, emphasis on constructive. Understand that these are these are probably your friends at the table who are trying to help you improve. And even if they say something that like you might not agree with, they are generally trying to be very helpful. If you are the player at the table giving your DM feedback, be constructive, offer suggestions for things that might improve the situation. If you go in with just like, I don't like X, but you don't have a better idea, um, maybe give some thought to that idea. Maybe you do still give them that feedback and then discuss with, with your DM, maybe with the table, like what can we all do to improve this thing? Because the goal is for everyone to have more fun. Yeah, I would say uh, towards that, if you really don't know what you would do to make it better, um, let's say it's a particular mechanic that was introduced and you don't want to not have the mechanic. Let's say we're talking variant rules and let's say you're doing gritty realism and you're playing a sorcerer and it's really killing you to not get your sorcery points back. But you don't know what you could do except for like maybe you as a character play by normal rules and everybody else doesn't. I guess the solution here is probably pretty easy. Let's pretend it isn't easy. Uh, <laughs> but, but that being said, I think even acknowledging, look, I'm not really enjoying this aspect of what we've done and I don't have a better solution right now. Just being open and honest about, I don't have a better solution right now, or I don't have a good idea of what to do to fix this. I think if I'm receiving that feedback, I'm gonna take it a lot better because you're not throwing it at me. You're making an acknowledgement that it's a hard problem. And so you're implicitly telling the DM, it's okay that you didn't fix this off the first bat or that it isn't working perfectly. That's acceptable because I don't know what I would do either. That's a lot easier feedback to hear, I think. Yeah, and one of the, the things about this sort of feedback, particularly if you are uh, going to turn this into a long-running campaign, um, or you know, it, this uh, information about feedback is valuable even to long-time DMs who are you know, running long-time campaigns, getting that feedback conversation going outside the table can help a lot. Uh, that can help some people don't feel comfortable with giving something to you, just like look you in the eyes and tell you, your game was garbage. Hopefully, Please don't give that feedback. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hopefully they're going to come up with a more diplomatic and constructive way of giving you the information that made them think that. But my point is like, you know, if you want to have this conversation in a discord server, in a, a Facebook group chat, in a, a group text, if you know, it's still 2002 where you are, then that can be a really helpful way to both reduce some of the anxiety of the like in-person feedback giving. And also when someone says, hey, you know, I had this, like, I, I hated gritty realism, I don't have a good answer, that's a way to get the rest of your players engaging. You know, particularly if you have that veteran player in your group 
who's like, okay, well, so I did play with gritty realism once, and the sorcerer also had that problem, and we fixed it X, Y, Z. That can be a, a really useful way to engage people and to keep people interested between sessions, right? You know, if, if that's like, hey, um, you know, our, our session's on Sundays, and by Tuesday, let, you know, just to have a, a start-stop continue that we post in the Discord, and then congratulations, we, you know, we can talk about that, and, and we can maintain engagement with the story throughout the week. Improv Dungeon Master, what you do is you allow sorcery points to restore uh, as they normally would after a long rest, uh, but still your spell slots don't come back until like the weeks go by, as it would be for a typical gritty realism. You're welcome. So let's say you've run your one-shot. It's gone awesome. Everyone's very excited. You want to keep damning. So let's talk about ongoing games. If you as the DM enjoyed your first time running the game, you enjoyed your one-shot, maybe you've got new players who want to come back for the first time, then you might be lucky enough to turn this into an ongoing game. Now, uh, this is both the, the blessing and the curse of being a DM. Congratulations, you've got a new game going. Be very excited. Also, oh no, I have to write an ongoing game now. What do I do? So, <laughs> so the advice for running a longer form game is slightly different from running a one shot because they are typically more involved. You have ongoing plots. Things that you do in a previous session have implications for future sessions. Like if you give your player a plus three sword instead of a plus one sword, they now have a plus three sword at level two. What are you going to do? So there are some additional considerations. Uh, if you're running a published module or a long-form published adventure, you're more likely going to need to carry some more books to the session. So you're going to need to carry your adventure. You're going to need to carry probably at least the core rules. Your players, someone might need to bring some rule supplements that have like additional character options. So like in D&D, Xanathars, Tasha's, etc. In Pathfinder 2nd Edition, whoever brings... Whoever brings a gunslinger to the party has to bring guns and gears. Just make that their problem. If you can, try to make players bring their own books to support whatever character they're playing. But I understand like a lot of groups like to share books, especially if you're using D&D Beyond or something. And, of course, if you're doing it digitally, it's less of a problem anyway. Yeah, I will say, you know, as the DM particularly with the big focus on milestone leveling, that's going to help you a lot. Like, you know, okay, we're probably going to get to around here this session. We're probably going to get to around here this session after that. And that's about where I want my folks to level. And on those days, you know, maybe maybe that's the day that you do show up with your, your cart full of, here's my Tasha's, here's my Xanathar's, here's the stuff so that people can look and see, okay, well, I want to do this, want to do this, want to do this. And, uh, and and go for that. Now, that assumes that you are trying to do this stuff in person. Um, and if you're not, then, of course, the you know, like Tyler was talking about, the D&D Beyond is great. If you use the option where people can share your stuff, then they just always have access to it offline, which is awesome. Honestly, my biggest reason for saying don't always bring all of your books, they are voluminous and heavy. So the, the first long campaign that I played, my DM would regularly show up with a nook crate full of books that he would roll around because that's kind of what he needed to run his stuff with the the particular game that he had going. And that's fine. It's just, it's a lot. And so, you know, trying to travel light is going to make your life a lot easier. I will say, even if you are in person, tablets are pretty small these days. A lot of laptops are pretty small. Like using D&D Beyond as a digital resource at the table, if everybody's comfortable and everybody enjoys that, I do think makes perfect sense. One other thing I'll say, talking about the idea of leveling up, 
it could be a way if you're going to play a long session, like if it's actually an all-day in-person session, leveling up might be a great way to just build in a break. If you can hit the milestone around when you want to take a lunch or a dinner break, then folks can kind of, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm doing this. You switch to a more social setting, you're not in-game, you make your choices, and you level up. Another thing that you might do, if you know it's coming next session, and in the middle of the session you want them to level up, it's important. Having that conversation maybe two sessions ago or the session previous of saying, uh, hey team, sometime soon you're probably going to level up uh, if you bring me gifts. <laughs> <laughs> and that way, and, and, and literally say like, start thinking about what you want to do, kind of have an idea of where you're going to land. What that's going to do is you're not putting your players on the spot. They're not going to panic like, oh no, I'm going to make a wrong choice because I haven't really optimized for this because I was in the session. I wasn't thinking about the future. Um, if they're thought about it ahead of time, ideally they could come and they could say, I'm debating between these two options People can have some fun conversations about it, make your decisions, resume your session. One thing that I I did want to touch on, particularly given what Randall just said about um, having your D&D Beyond at the table, one of the things that you really are going to want to talk about is uh, what should people sitting at your game be doing? Um, And that's, that's part of your session zero. So a lot of times things like laptops, tablets, can be very distracting. And so that's that's part of the conversation that you should be having is like, okay, let's try and keep this to just pen and paper. And then if we need to look something up, great. We can pull out a laptop. We can look it up. We can look it up on a tablet. Um, but that's screens are a very distracting thing for a lot of people. In combat, maybe that's a reason why, you know, okay, uh, we get to this turn. Oh, I uh, haven't thought about it because, you know, they were looking something up. And, you know, maybe what they were looking up was something important to the, the session, but still, it, it's a very distracting thing. So absolutely consider that as a, a valuable resource, but just keep in mind that that may be one of the things that perhaps you as a new DM have to give feedback on to your players. Like, hey, it seems like maybe we're not engaging super much. Is that something where we could maybe keep the screens away, keep the phones down until, you know, we're like looking something up between sessions. And I think that's a wonderful topic to bring up in a feedback session. As a DM, because you're kind of facilitating this, you can even ask the leading questions like, do people feel like they were as an individual distracted by screens at this session? And then you, everybody stare at that one person who spent the entire time on the phone. (laughs) Uh, uh... I have been that person, and I'm sorry to the people who have done that too. I, I find I find when I'm a player, screens can be very distracting for me personally. So I try really hard to go for paper character sheets when I can, and it, it's totally fine to admit that about yourself. And knowing your own limitations and your own flaws is really helpful, even if you're not the DM. Accept that feedback. Maybe put the screens down and opt for pencil and paper if that's a better fit for you. But if it's not causing problems, yeah. And, of course, everything except D&D has books available as PDFs. So even if you're not using D&D Beyond, you can still pull up a PDF on your phone or your laptop or whatever. Yeah, I will say, on the other hand, so Tyler regularly live tweets uh, our, our regular weekly game that we play. Everybody at the table loves that and enjoys going and reading it later. So, Tyler, you should continue to be slightly <laughs> distracted by a screen. Uh, that's actually what I came up with to keep myself from being distracted by other things. Is to focus on, on this one particular... Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I do the same thing with music when I work, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm distracted by too many things, but if I can put on music, I can at least focus. Exactly. Incidentally, do not put on your headphones and listen to music at the table. <laughs> yes. I, you know, that's one of those things that it feels like should be pretty self-explanatory, and yet... 
and yet. Yeah. I thought I'd it in there. It's like, I'm not really liking this, uh, like, lodging campfire music you got going on, so I'm going to listen to some Foo Fighters. All right. So one of the other things as a DM in a long-running game, you're going to need to keep your own notes. Now, your players may be keeping notes, which is awesome. They may not. Also fine. For your sake, you're really going to want to keep track of, like, what has been happening to important NPCs, um, you know, particularly if you're, like, trying to make the NPCs as big a piece of the game as something like in Call of Another Deep, where there's the whole rivals. You literally need to have that written down because the story is different depending on what various relations are. So, like, that's a, a huge impact. So something like that, you know, you can you can absolutely keep track of, like, like where are people at any given time, um, and that, that, can, that can be important. If you're running something like Red Hand of Doom, where uh, you need to know, like, what day is it, keeping track of the rests that the party has taken can be very helpful. So you need to write down some things, or at least, you know, have a place where it's noticeable for you. And that's where it really takes back to what I was talking about for, like, read your material. Be very familiar with your material so that you know what is important enough that you need to write it down. And for those among us like me who have terrible, terrible memories, writing things down is very, very helpful. Sometimes you may notice that what you have written down and what your players have written down about the same thing are different, and that is a great opportunity to mess with your players. If that happens, there's several good ways of going about this. You know, if you are able to on the fly just yes and what they said, that can be a hilarious way, particularly if the players themselves don't agree about what happened. If you just like, you know, like two people took notes and like, well, this guy's dead. We put him back in town. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then just say, yup. And like, you find them in town later. And then you go to the graveyard and there's also a headstone for him. And like, oh man. So I, I will say, Gaslighting your players safely in game is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Gaslighting your characters. There you go. Perfect. And, and this the surprise is great for everyone. I as a player love being surprised. So if a DM were to come along and be like, ah, Tyler has latched onto an incorrect piece of information and I'm gonna use that against him, that reveal would be so much fun for me. So don't feel like you're doing this to punish your players. This is great storytelling and hopefully everybody enjoys it. All right, so there is another situation that could happen to you. We've talked about a one-shot as a new DM. We've talked about running a long campaign for a group of people, like friends presumably. What if you have an emergency game? <laughs> this has happened to me a couple of times. Uh, you're in a group setting doing something that's not D&D, and very suddenly someone wants to play D&D. And the, your plans for whatever you're doing there have changed dramatically. So, like, let's say it's Christmas Day. One of your family members who loves you very much has bought you this new RPG book, and you open it with joy, and you're like, ah, oh, yes, thankful, thank you, you understand me, and I love you for this. And they're like, hey... Will you teach me how to play that today? And you think, oh no. But also, oh yes. Because the excitement of getting to teach someone new how to play, but at the same time being put on the spot when you don't have all of your stuff can be very stressful. And there's a lot of pressure to get it right, because like these are people you have to deal with constantly. <laughs> yes. Having kind of an emergency DM slash GM kit is very, very helpful. Now, this doesn't need to be some huge physical thing that you carry around, but, like, 
that could but it be should enough. be just you have a backpack <laughs> like you've got the go bag you've got the emergency dming bag <laughs> yes in your emergency dming bag is five sets of dice um spiral bound binders um no uh you can usually get away with just a starter kit for whatever game you like to play people will most frequently ask you like will you teach me to play dungeons and dragons because it has that name recognition and even if that's not your game of choice, it's it's totally fine to teach them on D&D and then suggest moving to something else later. The name recognition makes things much more accessible for people. And, of course, 5th edition D&D is a very accessible game with a ton of support and a lot of resources. Carrying a starter set somewhere where it's accessible, like maybe you just hide it in a corner in your car or something like that. But if a physical thing isn't an option for whatever reason, just knowing where you can download PDFs for a short adventure, like Wild Sheep Chase or uh, Big Trouble in Little Absalom or something for some other system that you like to play. Anything from Adventure Week. Like those mini dungeons are awesome and they have them for Pathfinder as well as D&D. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, pre-gen characters as well. Like just stick the PDFs in a in a cloud storage file somewhere. And when someone says, hey, will you teach me to play D&D? You can say, does sure. your printer have ink? <laughs> <laughs> Give me 10 minutes and a printer and we'll be ready to go. So just having quick access to those basic materials is really helpful. Like we talked about on the previous episode, if you don't want to carry around a ton of a ton of physical dice, just having a dice roller app on your phone is fine and sharing it with the other people you're going to be playing with. Like, here's how you're going to roll dice. If you have a good time today, we'll go buy you a set of dice. And that That is one of my personal pleasures is taking people to buy their first set of dice at a real game store. Feels really good. I will say there's like a certain amount of absurdity to this that I love because folks who don't know a lot about tabletop but love fantasy and love board games will approach you and say, like, hey, will you teach me how to play? And and it's some cross between, like, I hear you play guitar, play me a song. Like, just perform for me right now on the spot. <laughs> uh, but it's also, like, yeah, like, I want to learn how to play Rummy right quick, so let's just bang through this. And it's like, you don't know what you are asking me to do right now. <laughs> like, I'm going to do this, but I need you to know that you have to be with me 100%. You have to do everything that I'm going to tell you to do. Uh, it's going to be rough. I think we can make it together. Eat, Tell eat. your loved ones. We'll be back tomorrow. Like, <laughs> this is why, I mean, you know, we, we sort of brought this up in the in the holidays episode, which you can go back and listen to, but this is why this sort of thing does tend to happen when there's a bunch of people around and no set plan. If you do have someone for six, ten hours, absolutely go nuts. You know, you, you can very much get something like this, and particularly if you do have something prepped as a first-time DM, doing it on the spot, that's absolutely going to make your life harder. That's why we're, we're really leaning into, like, just have a starter kit, have all of this stuff prepped it's just you know, on the off chance that someone does ask you. Because, I mean, putting this stuff, you know, putting together, like, a couple of PDFs and some dice is going to take 15, 30 minutes of your time. You know, particularly if you, um, like, if you're a longtime player and that's how people know. And so, you know, then, yeah, just... Keep it like in a binder. Keep it, you know, in your in your car trunk, uh, or you know, your boot, or I guess whatever various other things that other English speaking countries call your, the trunk of your car. What do you call the Tesla front hood? The, the frunk. The frunk <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that is the technical term. Well, fantastic. Thanks. I hate it. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of things like that that usually you're going to have some time because uh, unless you really are in like a, a holiday situation where like 
just kidding. None of us knows what to do for six hours. It's usually going to be like, hey, I, you know, I, I know that you play D&D. You know, that's around a water cooler. Do we still do those? Oh, no, wait, it's the pandemic. <laughs> uh, so, you know, someone messages you on Teams or Slack and says, hey, I hear you play D&D. And you say, great, let me get back to you. Another thing I'll bring up for this emergency game is I, I do think finding a way to limit the number of people that you're involving in it, if it's possible. Playing in a game with six or seven people can be painful. If you're a new DM or a mildly experienced DM, the idea of taking like eight people from your family, putting them around the table and running a game is going to be nightmarish for them, for you. It's going to give them a bad impression of it. It's going to make you feel bad about being a DM when the reality of it is if there were only three or four people, it'd be a lot better. And so gently having that conversation, again, you know, going back to the intensity I had a moment ago, who really wants to do this, right? Like you need to, uh, and, and having that conversation of like, well, look, let me run a game for three or four people. And then if you folks want to do this, you know, tomorrow, presumably we're still together, or maybe it's later this afternoon, I'll run another one with you. That's probably going to give everybody a better experience than it would if you tried to have eight people. Because now, like even finding content designed to run for eight people, an eight-player encounter, good luck getting the encounter uh, math right for that, where it's both meaningful combat, Mm -hmm. everybody has fun, and it doesn't take three hours, you know, just to kill your very first rat. I, the, the yard trash. Yes. That's the lawn crawfish. As it <laughs> All right. This week's question of the week comes to us from... Better. What has been your favorite monster or monsters to fight and to use as a DM? Has it changed over the editions? I really, really like dragons. Uh, <laughs> and- <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, <laughs> loves dungeons. I uh, love dungeons. I love fighting dragons. I like fighting dragons in dungeons. So, uh, you know, there's a game for me out there somewhere, I hope. Yeah. He also <laughs> likes paths. I want to be very clear. <laughs> and, and loves if, to stumble upon them. If, if you read the, the website, in fact, he has, in fact, figured out how to enjoy playing as a dungeon and a dragon. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. <laughs> um, I, sincerely, though, I love fighting dragons for some reason i can't quite explain like every time i know that there's going to be a dragon fight the next session i am very very excited about it uh my wife likely remembers several times from years and years ago where i told her like hey we're gonna fight a dragon next week and she's like great tyler i'm so happy for you that is exactly what she said by the way yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had a recent game where we knew we were going to be fighting a mechanical dragon, and Tyler had an entire plan about exactly what we were going to do for this. Mm-hmm. We were going to do the uh, as a fastball special, fastball special, right? And so just <laughs> yeet Tyler's character at the dragon, give the dragon a big old hug, and then unfortunately we made it to the session and found out <laughs> uh, it's too big. <laughs> yeah, too big for the grapple. Darn. But yeah, I like fighting dragons as DM. As a DM, I love running them just because they're they're a big, scary monster with a bunch of fun buttons to push. And when the players kill them, you get to give them this big hoard of treasure, and everybody celebrates. To fight, there's definitely a lot of good options. Having something small that you have a lot of is very satisfying for the same reason that eating rice is very satisfying when you want to eat ten thousand of something. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting to, like, ah, yes, let me fireball eight things, and then you get to laugh maniacally as you throw a pile of D6s down. It's any of your, like, kobolds, goblins, really just anything small, super satisfying to fight. As a DM, I am notorious 
for doing really mean things with floor ghosts. Fifth edition has stopped me from doing this by saying, okay, if the ghost ends its turn in an object, it takes some damage. I kind of don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, to the answer or to the question of yeah, has the it feedback ch- is please stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right. To the question of has it changed over the editions? Sadly, yes, because I can no longer just floor ghost forever. So 5th edition, I actually haven't had nearly as much chance to run game in 5th edition as I have in 3.x content. I've mostly been a player. But in 5th edition, there's some really cool things to run. I Honestly, you know, what Tyler said about dragons, running them is a ton of fun because they are very smart. They have a lot of buttons. And particularly, you know, if, if you do get one of the older ones that has like some some spellcasting ability. Actually, I guess technically a change between 3.5 and Pathfinder. In 3.5, I love me some Florgos. In Pathfinder, uh, when I was running that Rise of the Rune Lords, there was an old... Yeah, so it, like, it goes from adult... Does it go straight from adult to ancient? No. Uh, I think there, I think old is an age category. Yeah. So there's an old blue dragon, and that was one of the ones that I really took some time to set up because it was like a big climactic fight. And blue dragons have this ability to project functionally like a shadow clone of themselves that they can cast their spells and their breath weapon out of. Okay, it's like a simulacrum for the dragon. Yeah, and so I set the dragon up in a corner of his lair, had him cast a wall of force that covered everything but the bottom three inches of the ground, and then hide behind it, so he turned himself invisible, and then that bottom three inches gave him line of effect to maintain the projection in the other corner of the room. And that was just wrecking my players for, like, three rounds before they figured it out. It was so much fun. I miss dragons being spellcasters by default in 3X, but the complaint in 3X was dragons are just powerful sorcerers who happen to be giant flying lizards. And now we're back to 5th edition, where dragons are just giant flying lizards. I wish they were more magical. It's hard to get right. But they're still fun to run either way. Legendary creatures in 5e are a ton of fun. I haven't run enough Pathfinder 2nd Edition to really have any favorite monsters yet, but a lot of the monster design in PF2 is really, really good, so even just basic monsters frequently have a ton of fun things about them. So I'm going to give kind of a cop-out answer. I really like intelligent creatures of dubious alignment. I think it can be a lot of fun to have the hag you meet in the wilderness who doesn't immediately attack the player's give a little exposition, have a little bit of backstory, having a bit of a conversation where it's like, okay, party, we should probably kill the hag, but also she's asking us for a favor and she has nice things that maybe she says she could do for us, which, you know, don't believe her, it's going to go terrible. Um, But I think generating RP with intelligent creatures can be a lot of fun. So that's the first thing that I'll add to it. Yeah. The other thing that I want to say is interesting mechanics as part of a creature. Uh, So we talked a lot about grapple uh, across this arc. Um, If you're new DM, learn about grappling. It's a lot of fun. Uh, And as as a DM, new or old, using creatures that can grapple, especially around water, can be really really fun and, you know tyler and i were talking about this the other day like a giant crocodile that grabs someone and then uses its movement to go back into the water for the entire party everybody's like oh what are we gonna do another good example is we can hag so green hags can breathe underwater now they're not particularly strong but they're strong enough to grab the wizard <laughs> you know this can be a lot of fun to create a dynamic where it isn't that often that the wizard is in mortal peril 
is everybody else going to dive into the water to free free the wizard from the green hag? Is the wizard going to try to go to fisticuffs with the green hag underwater? Like, it can be a cool... It's combat, but the combat really has a feel beyond just the typical mechanic. You know, I rolled the attack, please roll me a saving throw, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're going to die, dude, and you're not even going to die from HP. You're going to drown. Any monster like that that can split the party forcibly is really cool. I, I We have previously talked about phase spiders. I don't think they made it into 5th edition. But they did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're... <laughs> uh, I frequently skip that page in Monster Man. I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, so like grabbing someone and just pulling them to a different plane. Hilarious. Uh, something like Purple Worms. Swallow somebody. Go back underground. What are you gonna do? Like, th- this is an immediate way to force the party to think in a way that they don't about combat, which is a really cool tool. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Hail. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter at at JackAmateur and Instagram at JackAmateur. You'll you'll find that his profile pictures have been changed to William Shatner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Tyler Kempster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. And I'm Random Pal. I don't really participate in social media very much, so you'll find me mostly here on RPGBot.net, contributing to the podcast and writing some articles. On top of that, you can find me in places where people play games, often as Harlequin or Harlequint. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you will find early access to RPGBot.content, polls for the future content, and access to RPGBot.discord. You can find this at patreon.com slash RPGBot. I'm looking out the window and it's like, it was a dark and stormy night, but it was noon. (laughs) And it's not dark or really stormy. I mean, it's been variably dark from the clouds. There's waves on the lake. Uh, I'm still thinking about, like, awesome feedback you could give people. It's like, I understand you have a session next week. Um, I have scheduled a root canal. My teeth don't hurt. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) 